Laufison. Variant L1130, aka Loki Laufison, is charged with sequence violation 72089. How do you plead? <laughs> Madam, a god doesn't plead. Are you guilty or not guilty, sir? Guilty of being the god of mischief, yes. Guilty of finding all this incredibly tedious, yes. Guilty of a crime against the sacred timeline. Absolutely not, you have the wrong person. Oh, really? And who should we have? I suspect the Avengers. Oh, believe me, you can smell the cologne of two Tony Starks. Company. It's episode 78. I'm Drew. And I'm Brent. This month, our fan gene of collecting is satisfied as we present the last member of the Doctor Who podcast to join us here, Michelle Simmons. Michelle joins us to discuss Greek mythology, her first Doctor Who story, and taking Richard Franklin out for pizza in her mom's station wagon. Then we go anywhere in time and space with Disney's answer to Doctor Who and Groundhog Day, Loki. We look at the series as a whole, discuss a 14-year-long character story arc, and what it might mean for the future of the MCU. Yes, this episode does contain spoilers for Loki Season 2, so please go watch the series on Disney Plus or wherever you can. Come on, it's only 12 episodes. It's totally worth it. And then you can come back and listen to this episode, which is coming up right after this. I can't go back, can I? Back to my timeline. I don't enjoy hurting people. I don't enjoy it. I do it because I have to, because I've had to. Okay, explain that to me because it's part of the illusion. It's the cruel, elaborate trick conjured by the weak to inspire fear. The desperate play for control. You do know yourself. A villain. That's not how I see it. It's finally happened. This month, we complete a seven and a half year journey because this month's guest is the last member of the DWP to join us on the show. Michelle, welcome to Who and Company. Hey, it's good to be here, but how odd to be sort of the last on a bucket list or, or checklist. I feel like, you know, I feel like that rare bird that birders go halfway across the country to go to go find on for their life list. But we had to you. build we had to build cred before we asked you. <laughs> oh, that's it. Sure. That's exactly yeah. right. It's not like you've been on every single one of our January episodes since the very beginning. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. I, we've never spoken before, right? <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't, you know, it's one of the things, I don't know if I've ever had a conversation with you about collecting things. Do you collect stuff? Yes, uh, there are things that I collect. Um, Comic books of certain varieties now having been added to the list, as, as we'll probably discuss later. One of the things that I find as a collector is my need to collect is something that I do to gain stability in my life Mm. and it becomes a compulsion to make sure like if i start a collection i have to make sure that it is actually possible for me to to finish it before i start because i know that some things are too hard or too expensive to do so so you know when we decided that we were going to start collecting who and company guests which is very important to us (laughs) to make sure it eventually could happen so you yeah, know, and it, I kind of dragged very my feet for as long as I could. Sure, you could, you, you could count me from all those Januaries. I could, but it's not the same. You were oh, talking yep. about okay. yep. a specific show. I mean, in many ways, you could say that we saved the best for last, mm-hmm. um, or we can just say that you were busy. Whatever. <laughs> uh-huh. But we are very happy to have you here. What can I do for you? now that you have me here? What can <laughs> I do for you? <laughs> Well, Michelle, prior to joining the DWP, what sort of podcast were you listening to? Doctor Who podcasts. <laughs> um, <gasps> it, really? I find that shocking. I mean, that, oh, yeah, you're being, <laughs> you're being sly. Um, no, actually, I really wasn't that familiar with the world of podcasting, but I was familiar with the world of Doctor Who and was a, a huge Doctor Who fan who had just rediscovered the series after the wilderness years. Uh, I was one of those who kind of lost touch during the wilderness years and uh, was so excited to happen upon Doctor Who being on the screens again that I must have started, well, I probably spent time on the internet and must have run across a couple podcasts that way. Um, And so the one that I really started listening to consistently was the WhoCast, you know, uh, which James and others featured on. And so when they split off to find their own, to find, to, to create their own podcast, James and Trevor, Marty, um, I I followed along right from, from day one with the Doctor Who podcast. But in all honesty, um, I, I think I dabbled with listening to a couple other Doctor Who podcasts, but but that was really it. I mean, they felt like my like my 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 team i when a podcast is is good and by, and by good i mean it's one that you can relate to probably because there are great podcasts that i don't listen to um but i think at its best you feel like when they are in conversation you are in conversation at the table as well um which is nice thing about who and company because it is so relaxed and conversational but that's what i felt like with the doctor who podcast when it started up i kept you know listening to them talk and filling in my part of the conversation in my head. And I kept having this feeling that, you know, if if only I could talk with them, they would like what I have to say. <laughs> they would they they would value what I have to say. I, I think I could fit in with this group. Um, and and I truly was starstruck and a fan of the podcast. That sounds really strange to say now. Uh, but I uh I managed to get to my first Gallifrey convention that I went to, and my main reason for going was to meet James and Trev, um, and 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 I very shyly did get a chance to meet them, exchanged a few words. Uh, my claim to fame was that at the time they were looking for a missing episode. Um, 
that they had done that that dealt they had a really cute skit in it called the the spume of destiny and somehow they had managed to delete that from from the files that they had active and had sent a note out to the listeners saying hey does anybody have a copy of this episode and I did so why I couldn't upload it and give it to them that way I don't know but I I, I went to Gallifrey with a thumb drive and sought out <laughs> the guys and that was sort of my excuse to introduce myself um and uh, I, I'm sure they were more or less oblivious, but um, at that time we had a chat group online, or they had a chat group online that I participated in regularly. Uh, and eventually they invited Ian and I um, from the chat group to moderate the chat group, which was like the best thing in <laughs> one of the happiest days of my life, <laughs> maybe. Um, again, sounds strange to say now, but um, so got to be a sort of an official participant in that way. Uh, and then after Ian and I had done that for, I don't know, a few months or something, they they invited Ian and I to join and actually do uh, very limited Big Finish reviews, um, which were a heck of a lot of fun uh, and which I still love doing. But yeah, just little by little worked worked my way up into um, the co-host position. <laughs> and I, I just, it, it again, it sounds so funny because, you know, now... Uh, yeah, I think of all the times James drives us nuts and we're pulling out our hair. And it's like, <laughs> how was I ever? How was I ever starstruck? <laughs> well, I do have to ask, what was it like the first time you got to hear that you you had your own theme song? I loved that. I mean, that is Leeson, and that is the brilliance of Leeson, and it's such a great theme song. You know, big finish uh, with Ian and Michelle from across the the Atlantic Ocean and so forth, which I won't actually sing. But once you've heard it, you can't get rid of it. It, it is in your ears for forever and ever. And we've now adapted that to include names like Brant or Drew. I think it, I think the last version is Michelle and a friend or something like that. Because <laughs> 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 oh, Michelle has a new friend. I think it's. <laughs> um, I I remember listening um, shortly after Brent and I joined the DWP. Uh, you and I had a review coming up. In a million years, I never would have guessed that they would have included my name. But the fact that they they split it into two syllables Drew. as Drew, <laughs> I was like, I've made it. I've arrived. And it only took seven years. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hearing Leeson sing my name and also hearing Marty say my name at the end. That was a big um, fanboy moment. Love that. Is, I, isn't listened- it funny? Yeah, because I listened back when you did back to the Hoocast. Right, right, right. So you yeah. were, you were, you would have been right there with me. But, um, but I was right. I, you know, they did actually have an interest in what I had to say, and we did get along. And uh, James is now, quite frankly, out, outside of my immediate family, James is my best friend. Um, you know, he is the one that that um, when I cry for days on end after watching the finale of Loki, it's James that I talk to on. Zoom for a half hour and sob my eyes out. <laughs> we we take turns doing pastoral care for each other. <laughs> well, speaking of Doctor Who, when did you first watch Doctor Who? It would have been in the 80s, um, probably the mid-80s. I would have been 14 or 15 years old. I, was, I grew up in San Jose, California. Dad was in the computer industry there in Silicon Valley. And I remember being upstairs for some reason in my parents' bedroom, uh, and they had a, a TV that was way up in the corner, mounted high, so that you could lie in bed and watch it. And it was evening, you know, it was probably the time when dinner was being cooked, and and I was just hiding out and doing my introvert thing. But 
the show came on. I liked PBS, so I would have been on a PBS station. And I was immediately fascinated. It just drew me in. And I think one of the first things that fascinated me was it looked so different from American TV. And what I mean by that is the actual quality of the video image was different. I, I don't know I don't know enough about filming techniques, but you know whether that means they're filming on tape or what that means. But it was clearly different from from the way our shows looked. Um, and as I watched, you know, there was a lot of walking down hallways and corridors, corridors with people in interesting trench coats and costumes. And um, I was mesmerized. And, and then it ended on a cliffhanger. And I am a sucker for a good cliffhanger. Uh, you can keep me hooked on just about any TV show, I think, uh, or film series if you, if you have a good cliffhanger at the end of it, because I will... Maybe this that collecting gene drew or something, but I have to have to tune in. Now, what classic Doctor Who story was I watching that had such a, a deep impact on me, you ask? Uh, <laughs> Horns of Nymon. It was Horns of Nymon. Um, they were, you know, Romana wandering through the labyrinth with the, the, the people from Aneth in their kind of yellow jumpsuits. And, and, and I was I was enthralled. It, I, w- I was hooked. Had to tune in. Were you a mythology kid? Probably, yeah. Yeah, I've always loved literature. A uh, huge Shakespeare fan, um, mm. which, of course, draws on many of those archetypes anyway. But, yeah, I would have uh, – and dra- just theater in general, drama in general, including Greek Greek tragedy, Greek, uh, Greek theater. So I did probably have those um, archetypes in my head to the point where, you know, the Nymon with the labyrinth and the Minotaur – uh, all would have made an impression in, in, in some form. I think that had I been, uh, I had access to Doctor Who as a kid, I think that would have been one of my favorite stories just from the, the subject matter. There's certain ones where like, I, either I like them now or, I mean, however I feel about them now, there's certain stories where I'm like, that would have been my favorite as an as a, as a early watcher um, just from association. Well, from there, I got into uh, the Doctor Who fan club locally, which was very active. And it was in those days when you'd meet once a month and you would watch pirated VHS tapes from the United Kingdom that had probably gone generation to generation. So you were barely able to make out the picture through the snow (laughs) of the the image. And um, that was so much fun. I got involved in conventions uh, that we had locally there. TimeCon, I think, was our, our local convention in San Jose. Um, got to, uh, I guess my biggest claim to fame from that era is that uh, when Richard Franklin came over for one of the conventions, he brought over his play Recall Unit that he had performed with real actors, uh, including his unit colleagues uh, in the United, uh, over in England. Um, and he decided to mount, I think, the second production of it at this convention. Um, and, and the script had been sent ahead. There'd been auditions and a handful of us had... Uh, ended up being in the play. I, I was actually the lead villain. And so, I don't know, James would say that was probably typecasting. But um, <laughs> I, Miss Bergbo, a Swedish villain, I actually had to learn a paragraph in Swedish, which I'm sure I mangled. But I have this hunch that Richard Franklin, who came over a week early to work with us, to, to, to direct us in our final rehearsals for the performance, I suspect he was probably picturing like real actors and, and adults 
I think I was 16. Um, <laughs> and we were just we were just Doctor Who fans from a Doctor Who convention. Um, and I don't, you know, I remember him being completely gracious. And I think I was oblivious as, as a teenager to, to the dynamic of that. But he must have been. <laughs> I can't imagine what he was really thinking. I mean, I ended up driving him around places in my mother's station wagon. Um, I remember going, I took him out to pizza one night after a rehearsal or something. I, I don't know why he didn't have better handlers than a 16-year-old kid um, who probably just barely had her driver's license back then. But we, we did some rehearsals in my backyard. My mother was rude and I'm because she never <laughs> understood my weird science fiction interests. Um, and I'm thinking, Mom, you've got a TV star in your backyard and you're being... Mm. She's treating him like one of my weird teenage friends. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But um, yeah, so that that was uh, uh, that was that was fun. That was, that's probably my best memory uh, of of those days. But that but then yeah yeah I went off to college and got distracted by other things. And Doctor Who went off the air, and so it wasn't until uh, wasn't until the new show came back that I came back to it with a with a vengeance. You mentioned Horns of Nymon being your first, and you and I have discussed, I mean, the three of us have discussed a number of Doctor Who stories, particularly the audio dramas. I don't know if I've ever really discussed with you a favorite Doctor Who story. Do you have Do you have one from the classic era that really my, just resonated with you? My go-to one, and of course there are many that I love, but my go-to one is Deadly Assassin. Um, mm, that, yeah, okay, that makes sense. And and I think you know partly just so fascinated with the character of the Doctor, and you know in fact as we eventually talk about Loki tonight, there are parallels. I mean the Doctor is captured. He is, you know, he loses his coat and his scarf. I mean he's just down to the bare bones. He's 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 a a Time Lord or a man in his poet shirt with the big. Uh, baggy arms that I love and and he's on trial and he's sort of at the mercy of the time lords and he has to somehow wriggle his way out of all that um and and I just you know I, I just love seeing the way he does that in that episode I like companions so it's not but 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 anyway that really is the doctor's story um Deadly Assassin being favorite is Tom Baker your favorite doctor he would have to be one of my favorite classic doctors. He certainly was my first doctor, uh, and that means a lot. And he was so good at it. I mean, he just embodied that role. There, there are some actors where the the, the actor and the role kind of blend, um, and and that certainly I would say would be Tom Baker. Um, I also really love Peter Davison, my 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 second doctor, and I loved the innocence of his doctor um, and the kind of the youth, but in the you know, very different than Tom Baker, but I, those those would be my two favorite classic ones. Although uh, I, there isn't one I don't like, I, I, lo I love them all. Um, New Who, um, you know, again, David Tennant is one of those that I was thinking. You know, having just watched the Star Beast, it's another case where where the actor and the the role blend. Um, when, when David Tennant is embodying the Doctor, there is so much David Tennant in it. Um, not that he doesn't, you know, make a clear separation outside of the role, but but they but they kind of blend. Also I love Capaldi. Capaldi is such a good actor. Um and I don't mind a little grouchiness um, you know, and otherworldliness when it comes to the doctor. So um those would be probably my two favorite 
new series, Doctors, but they're all so good. I really appreciated Jodie Whittaker's take on it and, and the sheer joy. Uh, again, kind of a little bit, I guess, in a way like Peter Davison, this kind of innocence with which the doctor approaches the world um, and the appreciation with which the doctor approaches the world. So, yeah, I, I miss... I miss Jody. Um, I obviously really like the Fourteenth Doctor, but uh, I wish Jody had had longer and better. Well, we talked about the classic era. We talked about the modern era. Now we're about to enter a third era of Doctor Who, apparently. Hmm. So, what would you like to see from RTD and his successors in this new era? Well, I love stories that feature character and character development and relationships stories that, that that feature relationships i and and that is something that rtd does extraordinarily well um i don't need a fancy plot i mean i need a plot that makes hopefully sense um but if the character beats are strong i can forgive a lot of other things and i know from the star beast that 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 was one thing i think most of us felt was that the, the characters um, as they were written, really, really did shine. So I'm looking forward to that um, moving forward. You know, focus on that. Give us a good story. I, you know, it doesn't have to be big and fancy and complex and 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 and, and earth shaking. Um, it just has to be a good story. And I do think RTD is one of the best storytellers out there. Michelle, we, we kind of hit it at it uh, early on that you're doing some collecting of comic books. Um, we have had conversations about modern Who and classic Who and animated Who. You and I and, and Brent have had conversations about the audios and Big Finish. Uh, the newest episode is about comic books. Um, you've branched out into quite a bit of different media um, with Doctor Who. And I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on some of those. How do you feel like all these different branches of media have helped to expand Doctor Who's mythology um, or reach different fans? Like, do you feel like we're telling the same stories between the television show, Big Finish, comics, novelizations? Or are they playing to the strengths of the medium? Okay. Um, and let me I, – I, I'm going to – Take one step back. I need to tell you a little sure. bit about why I'm reading comics now, and it and it bleeds into the next part of our conversation. Um, so this will be a little timey wimey because <laughs> we're going to talk about C before we talk about B. But um, I was not much of a comics fan until fairly recently. Um, I, I had read a little bit of comic book material back when I was a teenager, but 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 really nothing for years and nothing as an adult. Um, nor was I a fan of the MCU because I wasn't a fan of comic books. And, and my, my assumption, my erroneous assumption was that in those films, as my impression was of comic books, the characters would be two dimensional. The characters would be caricatures. They would be cartoonish. Those are words that, that I kind of had in my mind. Um, and I wasn't, because character is so important to me, I wasn't interested in something that was just sort of two-dimensional. And I mean that not just terms literally, but but <sighs> character-wise. Um, the other thing is I'm not that big a fan of battles. And so, you know, when all the, when all the previews for the films feature these big conflicts and battles, um, you know, I, for those reasons, I had avoided the 
Marvel Comics universe, and indeed comics in general. And I, and I hadn't gotten into Doctor Who comics. I'd read some of them in Doctor Who magazine uh, sure. year, years past, but that's not something I had kept up with for many, many, many years. And indeed, it was probably the part of the, com- the book, probably the part of the magazine that I was least likely to read would, would have been the comic strip. So um, what happened is that one day when there was nothing else to do, and my dad and I actually were poking around uh, on on the menu of a streaming service, I thought, well, we we both like Benedict Cumberbatch. Let's try Doctor Strange. You know, maybe I can maybe I can stand this, uh, and and I loved it. And I discovered as well that the story had a lot to do with character development, uh, and 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 uh, it. I was like, oh my goodness, this is a universe maybe I should pay attention to. So I began watching the MCU movies from the beginning because, as you say, Brent, you got to do it all and you got to do it in order and you got to do it right. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I watched every, what are there, 30 some? I don't know how many there are now, but it took me probably 18 months to to go through and watch every single film in order, including the X-Men films. and discover a whole new world. But meanwhile, I'm falling in love with characters. And I know those characters have stories that happen in the comic books and that these films are based on the comic books. So finally, within the last just maybe 18 months, I started picking up some comic books off the shelf. And it was so funny because I was so scared to go into my first comic store. It was just, it was a total different realm of fandom. And there were it was just so imposing, it felt to me, to, to and, and, you know, how am I going to get in there and get out? I don't like looking like I don't know what I'm doing. That's probably part of it, and that's me. But um, I was, you know, the first couple times I went into a comic book store, I really had to psych myself up to get in there. And <laughs> um, so started reading Marvel comics that featured some of my favorite characters, and then, of course, you're in these stores and you go, oh, well, I wonder if they have any of the Doctor Who comics. And you walk over to that section and lo and behold, there are, of course, <laughs> books and books and books and books of, of Doctor Who comics, some from uh, long ago, some compiled from Doctor Who magazine from the 80s and, and that era, but also some new ones from ID, IDW and from uh, Titan most recently. And somewhere along the line, a Humble Bundle offer came along online where for, for a very good deal, I could buy the entire back, backlog of, of the, the Titan comics, which I did. So would, that helps the, the collecting, Drew, because you just didn't, with a snap of your finger. You, <laughs> you, you, and <laughs> anyone listening uh, in the month of November and early December 2023, that Humble Bundle is still there. Uh, um, it's it's available again for the comics, but it also includes Big Finish Audio and the role playing game. They oh my are goodness. It's yeah. If you're looking to get into Doctor Who outside of television, that humble bundle uh, is pretty decent. Um, it's the, one of the best ones they've ever produced for Doctor Who, and they always have an annual Doctor Who humble bundle. So we'll maybe uh, put a link in the yeah, show good. notes. Good, that's like a that great website. Great, that's yeah. a great plug to put in this time because it 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 has certainly changed my reading habits. For those of you um, listening in uh, tw- <laughs> twenty three forty eight, uh, that's <laughs> probably not going on anymore. You're just gonna have to go to the Hall of Vids <laughs> to get to those, or you know, one of our life crips. Um, but please go ahead. Sorry. No, no. So what I've discovered to answer your original question, which you posed thirty minutes ago or something, um, is that. I think the worlds are quite different. They feel different to me. 
Um, and that certainly depends upon which publisher is is publishing them. I mean, the things certainly the things from the eighties feel very different. And 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 I'm less taken with the old ones. To, to me, that feels more like the stereotype that I had been thinking of, mm-hmm. where the stories are thinner, the characters are thinner. Um, I'm just not as interested in them. Although you know there are some some gems out there like Star Beast. Um, but but even then, there are parts of the comic that. I just kind of slog through uh, parts, which RTD for the most part cut in his adaptation of the story. Um, but some of the newer stuff, uh, the Titan comics, which are being published, one of the things I love is they so often have the character of the doctor spot on. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you can hear the voice of the character. Um, the voice is just right. The the you really do believe that the, the the doctor in the comics is is whichever incarnation of the doctor. They also Titan recently uh, has been doing uh, some Missy stories, which are wonderful. Um, they, they they did a, a series where uh, on the Master where mostly it's Missy, although some of the other incarnations of the Master are in there. But they do such a great take on Missy, and they did that also in the Doomsday um, that their their entry into the Doomsday stuff that was that was done for the. Cent- for the what, not centennial, what are we at? Sixty years, the anniversary. <laughs> so, I tend to think of them as almost like a separate universe, but related. I am. I've decided I'm giving up on trying to make the canon all fit together between not only the various media but the TV show itself. It's just gotten too big and too complex, and and just give me a good story, and I'm not going to get too hung up on how it how it ties into everything. So. I don't know how much that answers of what you asked, but what do you think? Because you've done, uh, you read them. I do, yeah. Um, And it's one of those things, too, that uh, I was a comic book person first and foremost. Like, that's my first love. That's my first fandom. Before anything else, it was comic books. I, I learned to read through comic books. I discovered Doctor Who through comic books. I have worked in two comic book stores, and when you say you felt hesitant to go in there, you're not the only one. A lot of people feel intimidated about it. Mainly, I think it has to do with how people who frequent comic book stores have been portrayed in the media. Um, not all of those are incorrect either, but um, you know, the the relationship with the public and and uh, Genre fiction, particularly illustrated genre fiction, has changed dramatically since, I would say, the early 2000s where things like Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter become super popular and people have suddenly, you know, there's a Dungeons and Dragons movie that's doing really well. Like, all of that stuff with the MCU, all that has really brought a lot of people who wouldn't normally come into those stores have discovered a whole new world and it's really beneficial you know, in, in, in real world, I am a children's librarian. And, and one of the things that I do, because graphic novels are my speciality as long as well as children's books, is I have really serious conversations with parents about their children who are having issues transitioning from picture books to um, narrative books, and using graphic novels and comics as a, a way to bridge that, even though it does take a different part of the brain to read a comic book, like our brains just Unless you start with picture books, um, and you you've practiced with it, it it can be a little uh, unusual for some folks. But a lot of folks who parents who didn't read them as kids 
see them as being something lesser. And they're like, no, 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 no. I want my children to do this. I'm like, well, your child's having a real hard time reading. Uh, so making, maybe throwing Moby Dick at them um, and then going, I don't understand why they don't like this. Let's start with something simpler. Yeah. Um, so I interview a lot of comic book people at a lot of comic book conventions. Quite a few of them have been folks who have either written for or illustrated or colored or lettered uh, Doctor Who comics. And one of the things that I've I've asked is, you know, like, is it easier to present the story, especially for a writer, in their head, um, the, the story that they have in their head in the comic form, where the budget constraints keep you from it? And almost universally, the answer has been no, uh, because one of the joys of Doctor Who is been the the creativity that comes from the budget constraints. Uh, and they said, you know, if suddenly you can show a an infinite Dalek battalion in space, you know, you don't necessarily have to do that because that's kind of a thing that you would never see. And then, of course, the artist was going to chime in by saying, and of course, I have to illustrate that. <laughs> uh, you've never heard such vitriol in your life as illustrators talking about having to illustrate multiple Daleks on the same page. Mm-hmm. Um, it's usually a certain level of vitriol that they reserve for people who ask them to draw horses uh, horses and dogs apparently are not things that people really like to, to do but um i love the novelizations i think it, it works a, you can be super creative you can use the theater of the mind for that you can describe whatever you want without budget constraints because the only constraint is uh, in your head so I, I kind of wish i read more doctor who novels i have them all i mean like it's Talk about a collection that I almost wish I didn't have um, because I know I'll never get through them all. But I do really love them, and that includes the the target novelizations. There's something really kind of beautiful about the simplicity of the writing, but allowing the, mm-hmm. your imagination to kind of flow through that. And and that is, I I also read the novels, and and you know I didn't get back in. I wasn't into it at the when they were first being released, like the the uh, the new adventure novels, mm-hmm. and right past doctor novels and so on <clears throat> but i'm working my way slowly through them now and have read many 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 of them and and the target novels as well read one a month um mm-hmm. so I, I i love it all i i just love the multiple ways of experiencing this world you know these characters that we love the the it's such a great premise for a show to be able to go anywhere in time and space and to be able to have different lead actors um, create new takes on the role and to be able to expand that into audio, novel, graphic, you know, whatever. It, it's just what a treat. We spoiled for choice and, and not enough time in the day. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing how much of it is out there too. When you're talking about, you know, here we are celebrating the 60th anniversary of the program and they started off with the comics and the novelizations uh, pretty early on, you know, especially with Doctor Who magazine, um, y- you know, much faster than a lot of these American television shows or fandoms did. So, you know, there's a lot, and it's been going on for so long. I, our friend um, from Pixel Who, Nathan Skreslip, has one of the most phenomenal Doctor Who libraries I've ever seen, um, where he's got bookshelf after bookshelf after bookshelf, and he has them all in chronological order so that you could read 
uh, all experience all of the doctor first doctor stuff. So oh, like yeah. there's one yeah. whole shelf that's for. But like here's a television show, and here's the novel, and here's the graphic novel, and here's the big finish audio, and all of those are like in order. So it's like a timeline, even as wibbly and wobbly as you want it to be. It's still this sort of. It's it's both a thing of beauty and a declaration of madness. Uh, well, it, but I I'm I'm quite uh, jealous sometimes. And and this is a slight tangent, but but it's such a good thing. Where I have seen that multimedia world done exceptionally well recently is in the High Republic initiative in the Star Wars uh, fandom, the Star Wars genre, where where. Um, they have been writing for about two years now, two and a half maybe, um, stories that take place a couple hundred years before the original Star Wars stories, so a couple hundred years before the Empire, and have created whole new characters, um, but they're released intentionally as various forms of novel. There's the adult novel, young adult novel, youth novel, children's books. There are audios that are with it. There are comic books, both kind of aimed at adults and a whole nother range that's aimed at um, a little bit younger readers. And it works so well, unlike what I've seen Doctor Who try to attempt a couple of times, I think unsuccessfully. Um, the Star Wars franchise has done amazingly well with these stories that all interlink. You can follow it in just one media form, but if you read all the media forms, the characters migrate, you know, through those different media forms and and you will get more of the story or a different perspective on the story depending on what you're reading and that see that was a danger of going into a comic book store you know they need like warnings um <laughs> because when you go into a comic book store you you go for what you're going for but then there's all this other stuff out there and and the fact that I'm now into that was a deliberate was a direct result a side effect um of going into those comic stores, which, by the way, I now have my own pull box. They, the, the, the comic book store employees, and I've never met a bad comic book store employee. They are delightful people, uh, and they are welcoming and hospitable. They know me by name. <laughs> they ask about my work. Yeah, it's wonderful. You just disappeared. I know, and I can't keep looking at it because it's horrible. What? I thought you said it didn't that bad. I was lying. It, it's terrible. It looks like you're being born or dying or both at the same time. It's really, it's freaking me out. It's okay. It's, it's okay. Really painful. It's not that bad. I can handle it. I mean, listen, I, I, I'd I, like to think that I was on that kind of frontier of, of being hospitable <laughs> to people who are like, oh, this is so much nicer than I thought. None of you are like comic book guy from The Simpsons. <laughs> but here's the thing. You start talking about Star Wars and you're, and, and you're talking about how this kind of expanded universe and things like Disney Plus are making um, Star Wars a lot more acceptable because uh, you can like different aspects of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these shows in these expanded universes. And it's very similar to Doctor Who because when we invite a guest onto the program to talk about Doctor Who, we also know that Doctor Who is not the end-all and be-all of their fandom. We always ask them to talk about a show that has gotten their attention. They they feel passionate about discussing. So, Michelle, what is the show that is not Doctor Who that you would like to talk about today? Oh, okay. I feel like yeah, it's we've... a really natural way to transition into this topic, <laughs> since we, even though we have already mentioned it. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, already mentioned a couple times. So, um, yeah, when I got into the, the Marvel the MCU in particular, like so many fans, I fell in love with Loki and that character. Um, and 
I, I was almost hesitant when you asked me what show I wanted to, to talk about that wasn't Doctor Who, but to be honest, there's not all that many shows I keep up with that aren't Doctor Who. Um, and I felt hesitant about talking about Loki because it is so topical right now. I mean, everybody's talking about Loki, and, and I prefer to be someone who has more of a niche fandom. Um, but but really, it, it uh, the, the finale to season two aired a few weeks ago, uh, and it rocked my world to the point where, it, you know, I, I was really undone, not necessarily in an entirely bad way. Um, and about the time you guys were begging me to come on the show so you could top off your on our list, hands and knees, <laughs> <laughs> it was all I could think about. And 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 I and in fact I was I was again I mentioned I talked to James for half hour trying to I, I was like I need therapy I need I need people who have seen this which James hasn't which is annoying um, who can talk me through this and who can talk with me about this because. <laughs> to work through this i'm 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 in a better frame of mind now than i was three weeks ago but yes um the other thing that is helpful to know is background knowledge about me um is that you know you mentioned you're a children's librarian in 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 uh, your day job in real life <laughs> in real life <laughs> in my real life i am an episcopal priest um so i'm actually the reverend michelle uh, or mother michelle if you prefer but um I am a sucker for a redemption story. Um, <laughs> in anything where you know a character goes through something and becomes a better version of themselves um, in the process, um, of course, particularly a very engaging, charismatic, witty, fun character along the way. But um, yeah, I, I was I had no hope when confronted with a, a character like Loki. Um, who I guess just ticks all the boxes for me, but but never that I am aware of has there been quite the arc of storytelling that spans 14 years in the case of this character um, and that was so lovingly handled and meticulously handled, uh, particularly as you get into the, to the two-season TV story series. And again, remember, Shakespeare fan as well, so... I just see those elements in this and 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 it's just one for me one of the best things I've seen not only on TV but in storytelling um in a long time and and yeah I'm I'm putting that up there with things like the Shakespeare plays I go to and such. Well it makes sense too because you know when Thor was first when they first decided to make Thor the film, they tagged Kenneth Branagh to mm -hmm. to direct it, and Branagh, who is you know a fairly famous Shakespearean actor, mm -hmm. uh, found uh, Tom Hiddleston through sh the theater. Um, no, actually, um, well, maybe, but but Hiddleston had starred on Wallander. Uh, was right, one of sure, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they knew each other directly through that. And he said he was the hungriest actor he'd ever seen. Uh, was the word that he described it. Uh, and I think it was even before, well, maybe it might have been after Wallander had come out, but I, I know it wasn't available in the States because Loki was one of those characters that they needed to get right. I was oh, yeah. far more concerned about Loki than I was uh, Thor in in that sense of it. Because, um, uh, like, it's, it's a very complex character. Uh, and so I, I, like, went looking for Hiddleston stuff, and I was like, oh, okay. Hey. I saw it, and I was like, yeah, I, I get it. I get it. So you you find a character that you like. Um, we get season one, um, which I think would came out in twenty twenty one. 
and and I think I've been on record to say that I think it was the best Doctor Who I saw that year um, <laughs> uh, in 2021. Uh, certainly, were you at the end of season one excited for Loki season two? Or are you more interested in seeing what else? Marvel and Disney Plus had to offer? Oh, gosh, I was desperate. Well, I told you about me and cliffhangers. Um, sure. Yeah. Uh, so season one, Loki has had this amazing again, character arc. And, and much like what I said about Deadly Assassin, Loki has been stripped of everything that he, you know, all of his security blankets are gone. He's He's been ripped out of his timeline. He's been ripped away from his family, you know, love him or hate him. He has been even his costume is removed, and you know he's put in something much more drab. Uh, he has been stripped of his powers um, in in the TVA, and he is forced to confront himself. He has nothing nothing left to do but but um, working with Mobius to to really begin to unpeel the layers of of who he is and what really matters. And for the first time, he begins to form that for the first time this character who is always been an outsider who has never belonged and who has always um, wanted to, whether he would articulate it or not. And he does. He, he, you know, at the beginning of the first film, he's distraught because he wanted to prove himself worthy um, to his father and his brother. Um, but so he's, he's finally found this connection with Mobius in particular uh, as, as a friend and a mentor um, <laughs> and also with Sylvie. I mean, for the first time, he, he's he got a substantial romantic interest, um, somebody he cares about, somebody he cares about more than himself. I mean, he says in the Which climax is... of that first season, I know she is himself, but <laughs> she is, but she isn't. She, um, But hey, here's another thing. I don't think Loki likes himself. No, I mean, not at all. So, 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 so you can. I mean, it's just as important that he's beginning that he's found an aspect of himself that he cherishes. Right. Um, so, so you know, look at it that way if you want to. But you know, and in that big climax fight scene, you know, Sylvie's like, "You've been seduced by the throne because you've always said you wanted a throne," and 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 Loki says, "I don't want a throne. I just want you to be okay." And and he's moved from. Being, I mean, yes, she's him as well, but he's he's found this ability to trust. He's found this ability to care. He's discovered that he can be, he doesn't have to be a villain. Um, and so he's got all that, and then it gets ripped away from him in the last scene uh, of the first season. And he's thrown back into a TVA where he's separated from Sylvie, where none of his friends that he's developed this friendship with, you know, be, um, um, Mobius and in particular B-15 a little bit, they don't recognize him, and 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 he's distraught. He's panicked. <laughs> he knows something horrible is about to happen, and yeah, what a cliffhanger! Dang it! <laughs> um, thank thank heavens that they put in the credits. You know, Loki will return. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, now I was a little bit fortunate in that because I had just started this MCU movie thing. You know, like I said, within the last couple of years, 18 months or so. A, when I went into Thor, I didn't know who Loki was. Um, right. So I didn't I didn't come with all the expectations you did. I came to it completely fresh. But by the time I got to watching the first season of, 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 of Loki, um, I didn't have that long a wait 
for season two. I mean, I think maybe it was nine months, ten months or something. Oh, but, okay. Uh, but I didn't have the whole wait that a lot of people sure. did. But still, it's agonizing to wait. When the show has been as good as season one was, to wait, um, you know, for the return. And it was COVID time. I mean, not, not, not as bad when they were doing season two as season one, but I remember I, I was aware that they were filming the summer they were filming, thinking, please don't let anyone get sick. Please don't let anyone get sick. Don't let anybody, <laughs> anything screw up this film or this, this TV series uh, shoot. And um, yeah, yeah. I don't want to get off on too much of a tangent because we are specifically talking about Loki, but Loki isn't possible if Disney Plus wasn't successful, because Loki's mm. not the first series that they, they've they done, right? So, like, even WandaVision wasn't even supposed to be the first one. It was supposed to be Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and, and because of COVID, things got messed up. And, but have you watched most of uh, most or all of what Disney Plus has had to offer as far as that television is concerned for the MCU expanded universe? Yes, all of the stuff uh, that would fit in uh, you know, from Iron Man on, um, there are some shows like Shield, Agents of Shield, that I haven't gotten to go back to. Sure, you know, the not ones Disney that kinda, Plus, but yeah, 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 yeah. But everything that that was developed for Disney Plus, uh, yes, I've watched it all. Okay, okay. Uh, I, I, only reason I bring that up is I, I'm kind of interested how different directors and showrunners are taking different takes from the same universe mm-hmm. and throwing different stuff at the wall. Um, would you say that Loki is your favorite of those universe shows, MCU shows, Disney Plus? Oh, shows, absolutely! I, I think Loki is in a league of its own okay. um, in terms of the crafting and and just everything. Not, I mean, there's the acting, there's the the set design, the production design, mm-hmm. the music, the the cinematography, the lighting, the writing. Of course, um, it's just it's it, its own thing. Now there are others I like. Wandavision, you know, was definitely. Um, worth watching. I'm also a fan of Hawkeye. Um, and, and I really, you know, that was a, a lighter series, but you know, that was a Christmas time series. I'll probably watch it again in this next month as we're headed into the Christmas season. I really enjoyed that one. Um, I enjoyed aspects of Falcon and the, in the winter, winter, what was it? Yeah. Falcon and the winter snowman. What'd they call it? Snow. Soldier. I always call him snowman. Falcon <laughs> and the winter soldier. I, because there's a, there's a spy film called the Falcon and the snowman. Oh, well, whatever. That's, that's... <laughs> Either that or because I lived in Colorado mountains for years. But... There you go. <laughs> um, Brent, I want to throw this yeah. to you. Um, yeah, Brent, I, we haven't I even know let that... Brent talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's good when our guests are enthusiastic. But Brent, uh, if I'm not mistaken, you watched both seasons of Loki for the first time for this episode, correct? Yeah, yeah, because... When Loki season one came out, uh, to be honest, I was starting to get tired of the whole Marvel thing because mm-hmm. I had started. I was on board from day one, way back with the Hulk. Um, I had, but it got to the point where I had only seen the first Thor movie. Um, as far as the TV shows, I really love the Netflix Marvel shows, sure. Daredevil, all of those. Those are really good. Um, but then when Disney started doing them. They haven't been really that great for me. WandaVision was okay. I did like Hawkeye, um, but that was it. Uh, and then one of my sons told me I should try Loki. They were like, you would really love this. And I was like, ah, okay, sure. But I never tried it mm-hmm. until Michelle chose it as her show. And I was like, okay, I have to watch it now. And I'm probably going to like it, maybe. 
I'm so glad you picked this show because I was, <laughs> I really, really enjoyed it. Um, probably better than most of the movies. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm not really a binger of TV shows unless I have to watch them for this podcast, but I easily ran through that first series in about two days. Uh, then I took a break for a couple of days and I watched the second series and I thought the pacing was perfect. It wasn't slow, slow like most streaming shows are. Um, I thought the humor was funny. It wasn't silly or ridiculous. I was genuinely surprised at the level of guest stars that are on here. You got Owen Wilson. You got Jonathan Majors. Um, Data from Goonies and Ruby from Lovecraft Country that we saw last year. Um, The story made sense. It was a lot of fun. And then when I got near the end, I had no idea how they were going to get out of that. In fact, I'm still a little confused. We can talk about that later, but... I loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. (laughs) (laughs) So, what about you, Drew? I mean, um, you want to give a first impression? Do you want me to give you a first impression? So, I didn't. I wasn't super in love with season one. Um, I liked it. Like I said, it was the best Doctor Who that year. Um, But that's also not speaking as highly as for Mm -hmm, Doctor mm -hmm. Who that year um, as well. But. I did have an issue with the pacing. I felt it was very slow, particularly anytime Jonathan Majors was on the screen. Mm. Now Jonathan Majors has got his own issues that make mm-hmm. me not want to watch him. But uh, I, I felt every time he came on, and I feel the same way about season two, he slows every scene down that mm-hmm. he's in. But I could watch Tom Hiddleston forever. I could watch <laughs> Owen Wilson's Mobius forever. I think the set design was phenomenal. I think the cinematography was phenomenal. I think the editing was phenomenal. I thought the music was phenomenal. It's a, it is, you're absolutely right. It's a completely different show. And in many ways, I, I wish it, it felt like the front runner for what the next phase of Marvel was going to be. The problem was, I don't think Marvel, the cinematic universe, not the Disney Plus universe, had the same level of nuance that the mm-hmm. show did. I feel like if the folks who were in charge of Loki were allowed to be put in, it this is a show that felt like a, about time travel. I mean, it really felt like it was playing with dimensionality, time travel, space. Um, I think it got a lot of its cues from Doctor Who. I mean, it really do. You can feel the DNA of Doctor Who within this program. Uh, and you, when you get someone as dynamic as our main leads in those roles, it really brings uh, a life and energy to it that I appreciated. And I appreciated it more the second time, knowing that I was going to be able to jump into season two right afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that really helped uh, knowing where it was going and being able to watch and s- to see retroactively what what had happened with the MCU. Because I feel like with the movies and quite a few of the TV shows, there's been a lot of missteps, and I feel like it's sort of lost its way, and what it needs is a sense of direction. The problem is when your main premise is there is a universe where anything is possible, and there's bleed-through from all these multiverses, you don't have a concrete story because no story that the MCU has been producing is about that subject matter. It's basically been... We have a regular story and then a reference to a multiverse, mm-hmm, and it feels mm-hmm. like they're going to use the multiverse to cheat somehow, whereas Loki knows everything about cheating, and even Loki can't find a loophole in it. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we got down to the last two episodes of season two, I really felt 
um, they did a good job discussing this kind of the the depth that that sort of storytelling could bring. I um I I have a thought. Maybe it's un unpopular. So here's my thought. Do you think the Loki series could have been made into a movie? Do you think, uh, particularly season two, could have been shortened, dropped some of the aspects of it? Could they have used that idea to nudge the MCU, the actual cinematic universe, the movies, in the direction that I think that maybe they need to be going in? Or do you think it only works as a television program? I think it would have been less successful. Um, I think if it did, I don't think it could have been one movie. It would have had to have been at least no. two. Yeah. Uh, because this is so clearly a part one and a part two in terms of season one and season two. Season one and two, I agree. I, I was yeah, thinking yeah. particularly season two. Yeah. Um, I think what you benefit from, although Brent didn't, <laughs> in the TV series is the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think... You know, and it's interesting that the first season was so. And actually, I do agree with you about whenever Jonathan Majors is is on screen. I, I yeah, it get the pacing gets slow. But but what I loved in the TV series season one, my favorite parts were probably the conversations between Loki and Mobius um, mm-hmm. in the Time Theater. And, yes. and and that how often does a TV show spend so much time putting two characters in a fairly minimal room, you know, and just letting them talk, um, you know, and, and, and maneuver each other and, 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 and pry each other apart and somewhere in there learn to care about each other. Um, and and it keep was just, it interesting. It, it was, it was, it was, yeah, it was riveting drama for me, at least as a yeah. char- character nerd. Um, you couldn't do that in a movie. And yet that was part of the heart of the show. You had to have that foundation you know loki had to in particular experience that transformation but i think mobius also had to go from having kind of a loki was sort of his hobby he liked loki's um to actually forming this 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 deep friendship you know with Lo- friendship may not even be i mean it is by, by season two it's a friendship but they have this connection. it's definitely a friendship by the second season yeah but yeah there's, Men- a, there's, mentor, a, there's almost kind a, of mentor a quality. mutual admiration <laughs> oh yeah um and partnership like a uh uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, that they they're they a double have act. To form, they are a double <laughs> act. They're almost a Holmesian double yeah, act in many ways. Absolutely. And it actually rewatching or watching finishing up season two reminded me of the most recent episode of Doctor Who, which is of course the Star Beast, where some of my favorite moments from that episode were these two characters, you know, like Ruth Madeley and 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 David Tennant discussing yeah. with each other. This back and forth two competent, knowledgeable individuals having a conversation. Or, um, you know, the Doctor and Donna having a conversation, two characters that are associated by the through the heart and, you know, not through necessarily the head. So you have these two one-on-one situations Quiet that both ones, work. Yeah. And both of those are available um, between Loki and Morbius. Uh, no, not Morbius. Morpheus. You're, you're close. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Mobius. Mor- Mor- Mobius. <laughs> Morpheus. Sandman, Morbius, Living Vampire, uh, all both uh, comic book characters. Sorry. When you've been reading them for 50 years, they, they do have a tendency to bleed through to one another. 
you kill me and the sacred timeline is completely exposed, multiversal war, or you take over and re return to the TVA as its benevolent rulers. Tell the workforce who they are and why they do what they do. You treated real people's lives like some kind of game. It's not personal, it's, it's practical. It was personal to me. Oh, grow up! Grow up, Sylvie! Murderer! Hypocrite! We're all villains here. <laughs> We've all done horrible, terrible, horrific things. But now, we, you, have a chance to do them for a good reason. Yeah, let's talk about the characters. Uh, and this is for everybody here. Um, and I'm going to say this, aside from Loki, who's obviously great, mm -hmm. uh, were there any particular characters that really resonated with you? Uh, and in these series, uh, series one and series two. You know, the TVA team is so strong. It's one of those where every character is well drawn. Every character is interesting. Um, I mean, obviously, Owen Wilson's Mobius is beautiful. But one of the ones that grew on me is B-15, Hunter B-15, who was, uh, I mean, she, even a character, you know, I tend to think of her not as one of the most central characters, but she's there throughout. She has a very developed character arc as well. I mean, she goes at the beginning from being this, this um, hostile military, you know, garbed in, in, in armor going in. She whops, you know, Loki across the face um, and, and drags him into the TVA. Um, and little by little, I mean, in the first season, she, she realizes that the TVA has been lying to her. She discovers she has a life on the timeline, although she doesn't know what it is yet. She begins to be willing to change and then of course in the second season she's she's one of the sort of the inner circle of, of friends that have come together mm -hmm. to to do the right thing uh, and to protect the people uh, protect the timelines uh, and by the end she's she's still in her uniform but she's lost all the military you know she's lost all the um, the protective gear her right. tie her tie is not straight she's mm -hmm. um and she you know you've learned that she was a pediatrician a beautifully empathic yeah. warm pediatrician on on the timeline um and 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 she's you know as they all are there's kind of this real somber sense at the end um so yeah but but i love all the characters even Bradley, who we didn't get to meet until the second season and, and really only featured for a few episodes. Um, <laughs> Brad Wolf. Um, right, yeah. He, he, he was fascinating to me, too. Uh, kind of a slimy guy that got caught up in stuff, but he was really well played. <laughs> well, it's it, there's a discussion of free will in, yeah. in this um, that, that goes off, and I really like the idea that, you know, uh, Hunter X Five is is a a movie star, which is like the most glamorous life that you can sort of imagine. So like why like that's the temptation to go back, and it, yeah. it makes for some of his choices. Um, choices. Uh, Brent, how about you? Who did you who resonated with you? Um, unpopular opinion coming in. Um, I think Jonathan Majors okay. is a superstar already. He's not my pick, by the way, but let me just say this. I, I think he's a superstar already, and I wouldn't be surprised if he starts winning some Oscars soon, uh, provided he can get his personal life sorted out. Um, we mentioned Lovecraft Country. He was in Creed 3. 
I, I really like him. So I enjoyed watching him work on here, playing the different incarnations of himself. But I have to say that Owen Wilson uh, playing Mobius was probably the one that resonated with me the most. Because you also see his character arc across both series as someone who is hardcore for the TVA, then realizes what's going on and, and switches over. But also that part of him that heavily avoids seeing what his actual life was like before the TVA. He keeps putting that off and he doesn't even see it until the very end. Um, I, I liked all of that. So I, I think uh, he would resonate with me. And there's a, there's a revelation about his character that we get in the very last episode about why he, he sort of is the way he is about um, his relationship with the TVA and his partner um, uh, and having to uh, prune a child um, mm-hmm. that is so heartbreaking that it makes so much more sense when it's revealed that he's a father of two kids mm-hmm. who are, you know, have a lot of energy. Um, for me, uh, Kehi Kwan's um, Ouroboros. Oh, uh, yeah. And I yeah. thought at first when I saw him, I was like, okay, this is going to be a kind of a gimmick character. He is essentially playing Data from the Goonies. Um, but when you meet him as a a regular person on the timeline and he is a brilliant physicist who just wants to write science fiction. Science fiction. fiction. <laughs> Uh, when we get his demonstration uh, or explanation, rather, of the difference between science and fiction, and fiction being why, um, it, you know, for as far as storytelling is really interesting because Loki is getting all of this advice on what he needs to do from all these people that he trusts, but ultimately they're leading him in the wrong direction. Uh, he has to he has to look kind of inward to get the mm-hmm. answers that he seeks. Mm-hmm. Um, but that there was that human nature to um, Obi that I, I really dug. And um, there was a part of me, and I hate to say this, that was really hoping that somehow um, the origin of the TVA coming from Obi would retroactively make him the villain, the next villain of the MCU. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but you know that that's you I guess cruel-hearted man. Uh, I, how could, I how could found him Obi a more because I think I'd find him a more compelling character. Um, so, but yeah, yeah. So, and of course, you know, um, Mobius is awesome too. I have an action figure of him on my bookshelf oh. in, my, in my in my Doctor Who section. Yeah, with yeah. with or without it's, the personal watercraft. Um, it doesn't have a personal watercraft, but he has the 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 stun baton, um, uh. which seems so wrong because he doesn't mm-hmm. need that. He doesn't need that. He should have a rolled up magazine about. Um, uh, <laughs> okay, let me ask the comic book people: uh, Is Mobius in the comics, or is he just on the show? Yes, he is. He is in the comics. Yeah, um, he is not as prevalent a character. Um, he's sort of like a one-off character from the comics from a while ago that has slowly uh surprise been making a return to the comics um same as ren slayer um and a couple of the other ones Hmm. too yeah they dig deep for some of these um yeah and it's it's really amazing to me how they how they pull from the comics and they don't it's not verbatim i mean what you see on screen is not exactly the way the stories are told in the comics but I mean, it's not unlike what RTD with the Star Beasts. They pick the elements that are going to work sure. best 
for, for, for the story and, and a retold modern story. I know what I want. I know what kind of God I need to be. For you. For all of us. Let's talk about the end. Um, you know, we've already given this the the spoiler warning, so you know, free free. Uh, do you feel that the end of this series worked for you, Michelle? Okay, yeah, this and like I said, it really wrecked me. Um, but I don't necessarily mean that in, in a bad way. I knew going into season two, I was I was anticipating and dreading the ending, and I kept thinking. You know, the right thing to do story-wise and character arc-wise is for Loki to make an enormous sacrifice. And I kept thinking, part of me was saying, please, please don't let him be left alone. He has grown so much. These, by He's finally found a family, if you will, whatever you want to call it. Please, please, please don't let him lose that. I didn't necessarily think that he and Sylvie were going to go riding off into the sunset. A happy ending, a fully happy, cheerful ending didn't seem like it would be right, uh, like it would be momentous enough for what they've been building all along. I didn't think they'd kill Loki because they've done that too many times already in the MCU and it just seemed kind of unoriginal. But I I had a foreboding that, that you know, I couldn't have imagined it would happen exactly the way it did, but I kind of saw it coming and I was dreading it. And then it happened and it was so beautiful and so perfect and 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 so poetic and so i mean the idea that when just so much when he finally realizes what he doesn't want is a throne what he wants is this connection with these people that in order to save all the people he has to give them up and take a throne and it isn't just any throne this is like the throne this is you know uh, and, and they talk a lot in, in the articles about this, about how this is Loki's transition from a lowercase g god to a, a, an uppercase g god as he goes, uh, you know, as he literally ascends to his throne to take on this role of, of overseeing the timeline so that everybody can have a chance. And it is so absolutely beautiful, both in terms of what the character is doing, but also the way it was realized on screen. Um but I, part of me just wishes that in that final scene, he had given just a little more of a smile, just just something to make it feel like he was going to be okay and not heartbroken for eternity. Because he he just he looked it, it's, but it's perfect. It's perfect for what it is. Um, and I just have to sit with the grief, and I genuinely grieved um, for at least a week, I, I, which was. You know, I, and I was, I was like, I'm a priest. I officiate at funerals a lot. I help people through loss a lot, like real everyday lifetime loss. Why am I devastated by this TV show about a fictional character who didn't even die? <laughs> and, and it, it just, I was just, yeah. So, I mean, it's beautiful because what he's doing is purposeful and it is glorious, um, but it is also heartbreaking. And, and how many stories, how many stories have done that to me? Um, and, and it was 14 years in the building, even though, thankfully, I guess I only saw it over two years. <laughs> but um, <laughs> um, 
Yeah, it's it's you know kind of like what a time to live to be able to see a story like that told in that way by those people, those experts, and I mean both in front of and behind the camera. Um, but it was absolutely fitting and appropriate, and it absolutely undid me. <laughs> we can cut we can cut this out, but possibly. Since you are a priest, maybe it reminded you of Jesus's sacrifice to save everyone else? Oh, no. Yeah, you don't have to cut that at all. Um, absolutely. Anytime there is something that is that selfless, um, you know, you see overtones of, you know, greater love hath no man than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And Loki isn't just dying. Loki is like, you know, committing himself for however long, potentially eternity, um, to, to be separate. I mean, it's like it, it, Loki is going to be eternally imprisoned in a sense, even though it's a glorious prison. Um, um, so yeah, no, the, I, there are always overtones. Now, the difference is that, um, you know, <laughs> Loki had a lot on his conscience and a lot in his background. Uh, and Loki had done some terrible, horrible things <laughs> that right. that that you know are different than than, than the, the gospel story um but in a sense he it took him so much to get to where he was and then he has to sacrifice that so yeah well i like the ending um i get that he was i mean the most massive character arc of all was loki and going from this selfish bad guy to having others rely on him and making friends and then the self-sacrifice at the end. Um, maybe I missed something here. Is this a new timeline? Because I assume he's staying there holding time and place indefinitely. But when does he... Because he left the Marvel movies by stealing the Tesseract and coming to this timeline. Uh, doesn't he go back no. to the movies? No, no. no the so the, the separate... movies were a separate timeline. The movies okay. were the sacred timeline, time as it was supposed to play out. This is a like a branched Loki, a Loki okay. variant. Um, I see now. And so, so the movie timeline continued with Loki's death in right. in uh, Infinity War, um, and so that that story is complete there. That he he died, and that Loki in in the the sacred timeline is always dead. This is just a branched Loki, and this is how he ends up. Branched is a really appropriate term, um, Brent. I don't know how well you know your Norse mythology. Um, but as the camera pans out, we see that Loki is at the heart of a large tree. Do you know what that large tree is? No. Yggdrasil. Michelle, do you know what the... Yeah, Yggdrasil. So he, so he becomes the heart of the Yggdrasil, which is the world tree that holds the nine realms in place. So anytime in the original Thors we hear things like Nefelheim and Midgard and such, all of those are being held by this giant celestial... I mean, it's symbolic in many ways, but now it's, it is what it is. So um, Loki has become the heart of the the world that he's he was originally a part of. So it, it is kind of a bookend to which just makes it even more poetic. And huh. and and something that I have not seen commented on. Um, there have been a lot of comments about how this that scene refers all the way back to the very beginning uh, in Thor. Uh, what has been commented, and I'll start with this, is that Loki's final line in the first Thor movie is he's falling off the Bifrost Bridge as he's choosing not to be saved by Odin and, and Thor, uh, is, you know, he he's shouting to Odin, I could have done it. You know, he was trying to destroy 
the enemies and, you know, at any rate, he said, I could have done it. I could have done it um, for you, for all of us. And then he, he let, lets himself go into the void. Uh, and of course, that's the very last line. And it was Tom Hiddleston who, in, on the day of recording the scene, the, the scene said, um, as, as Loki's just about to, the last thing he says to Sylvie and Mobius is, um, um, I know what I want. I know what kind of God I need to be. And that's where the writing of the scene ended. And they filmed it that way a number of times. They did a lot of takes that way. And then before the last take, Tom Hiddleston said, hey, would you mind if I added for you, for all of us? Um, because he was wanting to link back. And they said, sure, let's try it. And they knew immediately that that was the take. That was what people talk about. But there's another, in that same scene, um, Loki has been trying to destroy Jotunheim using the, the Bifrost Bridge. And as the beam is shooting towards Jotunheim and, and, and destroying it, because Jotunheim's a frost world, um, frost, ice forms on the Bifrost. I don't know what you call that thing that, that, that the laser shoots out from, but um, it, it, it ices over and it, it ices into the shape of a tree. Um, the camera pans out and you see this. It's actually quite beautiful, but it's ice. It's a dead, frozen tree that is dealing death to another realm. Um, and in the end, Loki creates the world tree, which is life-giving and gives life to every realm. And I haven't heard anyone call out that parallel, but it's just so extraordinary, the things that they, how so much, they've been so careful and meticulous to make so many threads, which is, I guess, an appropriate image, pull together in this in this TV series and indeed in the end. So I'm assuming we will not have a season three? All right, good question. Because, <laughs> okay, so while I was desperate um, and thinking, well, this may be the last we ever see of Tom Hiddleston's Loki, um, I've been kind of reading all the press releases and interviews and things that have come out. What may very well happen, I think, based on what I'm hearing, uh, the writers of Loki, uh, the creative team, have said that they would love to continue telling stories in the TVA uh, with that TVA team, that they, they think there are other places they could, they could go with that. And given that the TVA is like the TARDIS, you can go anywhere in time and space from there. Um, and you have a, a good cast character. Sylvie is one in particular that they've talked about. You know, Sylvie, I think it's very likely she'll appear maybe in some of the, the movies, um, but but also potentially in, in a continuing series. So I think there could be a season three, but it wouldn't be Loki um, because it wouldn't feature Loki, It would, but it would it would continue to tell stories with the TVA team. That's not confirmed, but there certainly has been enough set out there that I think that that is, given the success of this, I don't know why Disney Plus wouldn't want to move forward with something that people would likely tune in for. Yeah, that, um, that sounds like uh, Stargate possibly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing when it comes to Loki, um I it, I'm of two minds Loki the character. Um I think about Doomsday in Doctor Who when Rose and the 10th Doctor are separated and it was so heartbreaking, you know, when Rose ends up on the other side of the dimensional divide. And that was so powerful um and heartbreaking. And I don't think anything they've done since bringing Rose back has ever been as powerful as where they could have left it with that heartbreaking story. Um, I mean, as much as I enjoy the character, I feel like maybe they should have just let it in there because 
that was so whoppingly powerful. I think there is the possibility that that'll happen with Loki. I mean, part of me says, where do you go from here? As much as I hate that he's stuck out there alone, wouldn't anything they did going forward with that character diminish the sacrifice that he has made? And um, I actually think Tom Hiddleston would probably be okay if they never do anything else with with Loki because this was such a fitting end to, to the arc. However, when Tom is interviewed and when some of the creators are interviewed, they are careful not to say that Loki will never come back. And and one of the things that is talked about is that there was a line in, in the last latest Thor movie. Um, no, it wasn't. It was in, um, it was in infinity war when Loki dies. Uh, Loki says, I promise you the sun will shine again on us, brother. Um, and so there's still this kind of unresolved thing that maybe Loki and Thor need to meet uh, it, where their stories have taken them now. Maybe there needs to be some way for, for, for that resolution to happen. And so I think that's a possibility down the road. I think, and in a way, hope that if they do that, they'll leave it for quite some time uh, before they go there um, and rest it where it is now. I think that's probably true. One last thing I want to say on that, back to Norse mythology. And, uh, Loki, there is a story, one of the many Loki stories in actual North mythology, has to do with Loki being trapped in a tree. And Loki is imprisoned in a tree. It's not Yggdrasil, but it is a tree for, I think it's like millennia. It's a long, 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 long time. Um, but Loki in the stories is eventually freed from the tree. Um, that Loki is... It is a well-known full-on villain at that point. And, and, and the myth goes that Loki can only be freed from the tree when someone actually sheds a tear about his plight. And of course, nobody's going to cry for Loki because nobody likes Loki. Um, and I can't even remember right now, in the comic books, because uh, Loki does, I think in his first one of his first comic books appearances, he it starts with him getting freed from a tree. Um, he, he like mystically makes the wind blow so that the leaf falls off and hits somebody in the eye. And that, 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 that's, yeah. But, but I think that, I think the actual Norse myth is a little more, um, meaningful than that. I just can't remember right now how it is that somebody actually ends up crying for Loki. I'd cry for Loki. Well, millions of people just cried for Loki. <laughs> I'm losing my cognitive facilities. I only have moments left. Victor, I need to tell you that. You'll never be him. Hi, I'm Miss Minutes, and the Before we let you go, is there anything you would like to, any projects that you're working on that you'd like to plug? You know what? I will say this, uh, and I think James has already briefly mentioned it on one of the DWPs, so I think I'm okay. Um... James and I are working on, um, I don't think you'd really call it a spinoff, maybe not exactly a new segment because it'll be a, a separate podcast, but under the umbrella of the Doctor Who podcast where, where he and I are methodically going through the Big Finish stories, uh, particularly their, their classic main range um, right from the beginning. Um, we'll probably throw some other things in there too, but eventually when we've got a number of those in the can, we'll be releasing those. And that, that has been fun. Um, so... Um, it's not that far afield from the other things that we've done, but but it'll be kind of a fun focus. And because we apparently needed one more thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> so all this extra free time for that could be used to editing. So Yeah. Oh yeah. Well yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And yeah. Well, until that project comes out, thank you so much for joining us. 
Oh, my pleasure. You guys, I still can't believe you really wanted me to sit here and talk for an hour and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you for listening and joining us on Who and Company. Who and Company, come for the fandom. Stay for the company. Yay. Thanks for joining us at Who and Company. You can download the podcast directly from whoandcompany.lipson.com. You can also contact us on Twitter at Who and Company or email us at whoandcompany at yahoo.com. A special shout out to Pixel Who for providing our logo. They can be found at facebook.com slash pixelwho. See you next month. Who and Company.